welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Welcome to Episode 2 of A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray. Thanks very much for joining us. A Congruent Life is about sharing stories of authenticity. In these audio podcasts, I share some interesting conversations with people living out their own definitions of congruent lives. I was grateful recently to meet and talk with Christy Bruchak and Taro Cha, who are in the midst of a pretty remarkable adventure by any measure. They're riding a tandem bicycle from the southern tip of Argentina to the northern tip of Alaska. That's a trip of over 16,000 miles crossing 15 countries. And it just so happens that they're both legally blind. It's quite an adventure you guys are on. It's been amazing. It's, uh, you know, when we set out to do this trip, we, we didn't know how it was all going to you know, come together. You know, we just had a list of uh, schools for the blind in South America and, you know, try to contact them as we went along. And unfortunately, with our limited Spanish, it was kind of harder to coordinate those. But um, certain places, we did get a lot of uh, activities like in Santiago, Chile, in La Paz, Bolivia, in uh, Panama. You know, so at times we get lucky, but at times it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to kind of get people to understand what we're trying to do. I would expect that you're encountering different cultures and, and run into, you know, language and cultural barriers along the way as well. It's definitely a lot easier being in the States because we get to speak in English. In the uh, in Latin America, we had to speak in Spanish all the time. So when we would visit a school, um, we would talk with the kids. But mostly, if we didn't have a translator, we tried really hard to explain our story. And usually, whatever teacher was with us would explain to them in Spanish so that they would be able to get it. But then when they would have a question, that also had to be translated, which worked to a point, but, you know, there's always something that's lost in translation, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, so, I mean, this whole trip has been just a combination of so many things going on. You know, just the logistics of the bike ride itself, the physicalness, you know, of the, of pedaling these miles, and uh, then the coordination of, you know, all that's going on with trying to visit schools for the blind and, and trying to get on the news, trying to, you know, just kind of a really raise awareness about what we're trying to do. It's been a very challenging effort. And we keep thinking at times that if we were just to ride this thing, how much more easier it would be just to, you know, be two people, you know, just riding and keeping everything quiet. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's actually, it's it's really worth it when, you know, you're sitting, you're standing in front of a crowd or a group of uh, a young kids and seeing them, like... Um, to, to see just planting the seeds. Like, for example, when we were in Reno, we spoke with uh, some high school and middle school students, and there was one child who, this was the first time that he had been allowed by his parents to come out of class. Um, He'd never been on a field trip of any sort before, just because they were nervous for him and for his safety. And you see that a lot with um, all kinds of parents in, in all countries, including the U.S., and also throughout Latin America and probably throughout the world, just 
that fear, um, especially coming from parents to their children about being protected and protection. You hear stories about uh, children who get to the age of 11 or 13 and they don't know how to bathe themselves and it's not because they're not capable, it's just because their parents have always done that for them. Um, so things like that, of you know, the difference between just a simple task of bathing yourself versus going out and every night having to set up your tent and find a campsite and cook yourself dinner and then get on a bicycle and you know go down the highway and get from point A to point B all by yourself is a really dramatic difference. So when they can see that and what could happen and think about where they are, that's our, that's our hope. Like that's the inspiration we want to give. I would imagine that as your trip is progressing, you're probably making friends in every town. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, every town we go to, is a, we just want to move there. I mean, when we were in Bend, we're like, yes, how can we get here? You know, what, where, is this like a livable city if you don't drive and you can't see? And then we went to Portland. And I'm like, wow. I mean, that's obviously a livable city because people who can see just choose not to drive. But, you know, Snoqualmie is a really nice, cute feel to it, small town, but, you know, with big mountains all around it. So everywhere we go, it's like, <laughs> we're going to move to this town now. <laughs> I, that must be really fun and, and uh, sort of exciting to run into all these new places and experience them in that new way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great to, you know, to be with locals, too, and to really get the, the feel of the, the town. I mean, it is kind of funny. In more than a year, actually 15 months or so of riding the bike, I think that there was uh, the day that we rode into Maupin, which is just north of Bend, was the worst riding weather that we've had in the entire trip. <laughs> Is the high temperature, I think, was 39, and then it just went downhill from there. It was snowed on us about five times. And we, we, we keep telling people that Oregon is uh, is training us for Alaska. Now, when is it that you plan to arrive in Alaska? Uh, sometime June, July, something like that? So it's going to – it's still another almost 5,000 miles from here. I think we are going to take a ferry up uh, from Vancouver Island to Prince Rupert, so that will help a bit, but – it's still a really long way away, so our hope is that we'll get there by the end of July. Lots of things could happen that might delay that, but we're targeting that because starting in August, the temperatures that far north of the Arctic Circle really start to plummet, and we still have to figure out how we're going to get back down from Dead Horse. We're not really sure how we're going to do that yet because we're pretty sure we're not going to fly, and there's not really a lot of other options besides possibly having to ride our bike back down to Fairbanks. Yeah, I would imagine that the the weather starts catching up to you pretty quick at that time of year. Yeah, so so far, you know, we we're on track, I guess. We left uh, Ushuaia, the southern uh, tip uh, city in um, in Tierra del Fuego, in the southern tip of South America. We left that there January 2012, so it's been like about 15 months. So we we are on track to reach up there in in a year and a half, and it is difficult because with going from south to north. You do have to coordinate your timing to reach Alaska during the summer because, you know, obviously any other time is not going to be possible by bike. But a lot of folks go from north to south, and we're starting to understand why they, they, they go from Alaska to Teodoro Fuego rather than the, the opposite direction, which is what we're doing. So where did you get the idea to do something like this? Uh, I um, Let's see. We, both of us like to do things. I mean, you know, doing the outdoors and traveling and um, – I actually quit my job in 2005 because it was after I found out that I was going blind. Um, and then, you know, so you have a choice at that point whether you continue to stay in the cubicle world and work for the next 20, 30 years and, you know, build up a, a safety nest uh, or you can go ahead and just, 
you know, have take what you have and go out and experience the world before you lose your vision. So obviously I took the latter choice. And we traveled around the world, backpacking around the world, and knowing that we we were not, I was not going to drive anymore. I kind of wanted to look at bike as a means of transportation, and so we kind of got an idea about riding a bike across the United States as a as a test run to see if it's possible at all. So when we came back from our travels, we bought a, a tandem bike on eBay. Thought that you know if if it didn't work out, we could put the bike back on eBay and sell it. And so we got you know a friend of ours to drive us out to Southern California and. Kind of like a Forrest Gump experience, just kept on going. And once we crossed the Rockies, you know, we were thinking, that's it. You know, let's just keep on going all the way to the uh, the Atlantic coast. And I think uh, it took us 72 days, uh, 3,200 miles. And when we're riding along the coast there the last day, you know, we had such a great experience that we thought, you know, let's do the big one, which is, all, you know, the, the tip of South America to Alaska. And at this point, we had such a, a level of confidence that we could do it physically and I guess in many ways visually too because you know that was one of the experiments we had while riding across the states to see if it was possible at all to ride across uh, you know to be able to see in order to follow the, the road and get across uh, the country. With this particular trip though for the, uh, the from the bottom of South America to Alaska you know, we wanted to use it in a way to inspire others, especially those who are like us with visual impairments, because so many times people tell us that, you know, you can't do this or you shouldn't do this because you can't see. And that's kind of how we got our name, Too Blind to Ride, actually. You know, when when we said to someone that we were going to ride a bike across the country, they're like, oh, you guys are too blind to ride. Instead of hearing T-O-O, Too Blind to Ride, we thought of ourselves as T-W-O, Too Blind to Ride. So that's how, kind of how we, we got our name there. But um, with this trip, though, we've been making a huge effort to try to connect with as many people as possible, uh, connect with those who are visually impaired to kind of inspire them to say, hey, you know, it's it's a challenge to not be able to see uh, see it all or see uh, fully. But at the same time, you know, you, you can still do things. You can still go out and have your own adventure. And then also to kind of educate the general public that, you know, those with visual impairments or disabilities like us, can still do a lot of things and, and to not be kind of sidelined to think that we are incapable of doing things. So that's that was pretty much the genesis of the whole like trip across the, the countries, uh, I guess the trip across the, the continents. But at the same time, deep down in our hearts, it's for the pure sake of adventure and we just love traveling and it's a fantastic way to, to you know, experience a country because you're, you're in it, you're intimately in the country and every time we stop at a gas station to fill up with water or to get food, people always come over because they're curious about, you know, what what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And conversations start. And a lot of times people invite us home for, you know, tea or just to chit-chat or just to kind of get to know each other more. So it's a great way to travel. I can just imagine when, when you guys came up with this idea, it's like, oh, we're going to ride from South America to Alaska on a, on a bike. I, I imagine all kinds of people were telling you that you were crazy for attempting something like that. We have heard that in so many languages. <laughs> we are crazy, we're loco. But the only thing about that that's truly remarkable is the 18 months part of it. So anybody can do this. If you think about, if you ride a bike, and you think about your entire life on the bike, if you were to take all of the miles that you ever pedaled and put it in a straight line, in a continuous line, 
how far would you have ridden? You know, like many people probably could have ridden around the world several times. So what it takes, though, is just that every day you're sleeping in a different place in a new town. And eventually that's not even that remarkable, but it's the longevity of it. Like every day this is still happening to you and you still want to get up and get on the bike tomorrow. But if you do get up and get on the bike tomorrow, eventually you're going to get somewhere, even if you go 10 miles in a day. But if you go 10 miles every day and you always make sure you're going north, you're going to get somewhere. Did you find yourselves doubting yourselves along the way? Did you ever wake up in some morning and say, oh my gosh, I don't know if we can do this? I, I guess, you know, the ride across the United States back in 2009 was such a good experience that it built our confidence up so much. Uh, for me, at least, you know, going from, it wasn't until Death Valley just recently that I kind of thought to myself, let's just throw in, throw in the towel in and just go home because it's too much. Because the whole time riding through South America and Central America, it was just an amazing experience, and we just we really loved it and enjoyed it. And I guess through South through the um, through Death Valley, it was hard because you know it was such a, a challenging experience. Because when we rode through there, it was in the the 90s or upper 90s, and so it was really hot. And the and the towns were kind of spread out, and so. Getting water was the crucial, the, crit, the critical part of the the ride there because if you don't get access to water, you're going to suffer tremendously and it's, it becomes dangerous. And so I think for um, uh, through Death Valley, there were gas stations or places for water every 50 or 60 miles, which is a decent amount, not too much, but at the same time we had to carry like three or four gallons of water on the bike just in case we couldn't get there. Because we didn't want to be stranded out in the the middle of nowhere with no water, with you know a blazing sun over our heads. So that was the only time for me. It was in Death Valley just recently that I, that I had doubts, but since then, nope, no more. Everything's all good, and we're I'm still uh, uh, energized to continue the next couple thousand miles to Alaska. I would say that we're pretty fortunate that our times of doubt haven't come at the same time because. What he's describing, our experience in Death Valley when he was suffering from severe heat exhaustion, I was feeling really good. And I was like, there's no reason why we're not going to get to the next point. It's only 50 miles. We can do that in a day. Just get on the bike and balance yourself. I'll pedal. We can do it. But for me, my time of doubt happened pretty early in the trip, actually. We were down in southern Chile, and Chile is a really tall country. It's pretty skinny, but in terms of the length of it going you know, south to north, is a lot longer than the U.S. is wide. And so we took a long time. We had all kinds of problems with 60-mile-an-hour headwinds and then cold temperatures and then parts of our bike broke and then we were on a dirt road. And there was this one time when we were stuck in our tent for four days straight because it was just pouring rain. We could not get on our bike. And we were tent, literally tent-bound for four days and by the fourth day, I was thinking, what am I doing? I'm still in southern Chile. That's like an inch out of a mile in, this, in terms of this entire journey. Um, but once I got past that and once we got through Chile and through Argentina and we were really well on our way, I haven't really doubted it since. I figured, you know, as long as you can imagine yourself tomorrow or whatever situation we're in right now, we're going to be out of this situation tomorrow as long as we keep heading in that direction. And that kind of confidence makes me not have any more, you know, fear that this is just ridiculous. 
And the, the trip, we've always kind of broken it down to smaller pieces. You know, obviously, if you think of the entire length, you'll be intimidated and you'll, you know, throw the towel in and call it quits. But, you know, we kind of think of it in smaller chunks. For example, we're currently in Snoqualmie, which is like 30 miles east of Seattle. You know, our next leg is really just to get to Vancouver, which is, I don't know, I think it's only 200 miles at that. And so it, it kind of helps to think in, in terms of smaller chunks to, to get there. And then once we get to Vancouver, then we'll, you know, start laying up the next chunk to get wherever we're going. Sure sounds like some really great lessons there, both in terms of uh, you know, teamwork and being able to rely on one another to, to pick the other up when you might be going through a bit of a, of a tough stretch. And then also just breaking down this huge audacious goal into really small little pieces. Yeah, I think that that's pretty critical, like no matter what the task at hand is, to, to kind of look at it as a whole task can be overwhelming, but, you know, no matter what the task is, you probably have done, you know, similar things in the past. If you just break it down into like, what does this really entail, nothing is too overwhelming. And, and I think some of what you're speaking to as, as you're telling some of these stories, uh, it really kind of comes back to this sense of being vulnerable. And, you know, in a, in a goal like this, a, a trip like that is going to be, you're going to be hugely vulnerable at, at various times, relying on the hospitality of strangers along the way and so forth. So what has your process been like to um, embrace that vulnerability as an integral part of this journey? Gosh, I, I, for me, the, the most vulnerable part of the trip has been the visual aspect of it. You know, the, the part with meeting people or relying on people or, you know, relying on weather. Those things, I guess they are critical issues, but they're so much smaller than the whole visual part. Because if you can imagine, you know, you're half blind and you're riding a bike down the road somewhere in northern Argentina, you kind of it's intimidating to think of what could happen to you visually. You know, you may not see a pothole or a, uh, you know, a side of a road, or you may not see a tree or a car that's parked in front of you. Those are the vulnerable issues that I deal with on a daily basis for hours upon hours on end. And so those, those are the, I think the visual part is probably the, the hardest one that I deal with. And, um, you know, I, I kind of take it in little baby steps just, you know, every every hour is you know the, the 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 goal just to survive this next hour and then the next hour and the next hour and then the next day and just keep on keeping breaking it down in that in that way in order to to get through. But um, yeah, it, it's tough. That fear of always you know crashing into a parked car that you don't see in front of you. I would say um, trust. Trust is a really good combatant for vulnerability and there's been times when we've you know been welcomed into people's homes which we've taken as such a great and wonderful opportunity to meet people but these people who welcome us into their home they're vulnerable because they have these strangers that they they don't know from anybody coming to them and for us you know many people have told us like wow you you stay with strangers but just trusting that you know people are people and Everyone is really good. Mostly what we just want to do is get to know each other. And I know that if I had a home and I met some people that were on a bicycle and looked like they were cold and hungry, I would absolutely invite them into my home. And just knowing that that kind of warm heart is out there 
like why wouldn't somebody else be the same as us and that kind of trust really helps get through um, because I also have to trust Taru who usually if you're on a tandem bicycle you have a sighted person who can steer you through you know but even if you did have a sighted person you're putting entirely your position into their hands because I, I if we fall down I had nothing to do with that unless I actually physically, you know, lean to the left way too far or something like that. But, you know, most most of the time, no matter, even if it's a person that we're staying in the home of or if it's Taru, I'm sure that he's not going to intentionally get us into any kind of trouble because I know that he wants his own safety as well. And, um, you know, everything else, you just have to accept that, you know, things could happen, but no matter what you're doing, things could happen. So just kind of letting go of those sort of day-to-day fears really keeps you from feeling like you're vulnerable. What's the craziest thing that you've encountered on the trip? I would say probably our craziest experience was trying to cross between Colombia to Panama uh, in the area that's called the Darien Gap. There's no road that connects South America to North America. It's connected by land, but they don't put a road through the jungle. It's really thick, dense jungle, and it's a bit dangerous through there. There's still some guerrilla militants and things like that. And so you have to either fly or take a boat. And if you take a boat, which is what we chose to do, you can choose between going up the Atlantic side, which is more common. There's often even cruise ships that will go up that because it's the Caribbean. Or you could go up the Pacific side, which people don't generally go to. Usually that's reserved for cargo ships. And on that side is often also where uh, a lot of drug activity and things like that can occur. But we decided to go that way because we thought, you know, how how bad could it be? You know, people, if we went to the Atlantic side, we know what we're getting into for sure. And we absolutely, it'll be a very safe crossing and this is possible. But to go up the Pacific side, it was more of an unknown and we were just really curious about that. But... What that entailed was getting a cargo ship that took us up to another town that was farther north in Colombia. And it was just a very local cargo boat that was going to bring to that town like food or bricks, building materials, uh, a car, just any random thing that people in that town might need because there is no road going to that town. So we were able to get on that. And then we had to, from there, continue to go farther up into Panama. And so we would hop small boats, they're called lanchas. Basically, it's like the size of a rowboat, but with a motor on the back of it. And the first trip we had on that was was really easy and straightforward. We got to another small town. But then from there, uh, nobody was able to take us farther north because for whatever reason, there's, some people didn't have the right paperwork or something was wrong with their boat or we're not even entirely sure what, but nobody was able to take us to Panama. But they did encounter um, another boat who was coming from someplace else. So we were able to get a ride on a boat out to that boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Because in order to go north up that coast, you have to go far out into the ocean to go with the currents. So we're in these tiny little rowboat-sized boats in the middle of the ocean. And we have to do a complete transfer, including our tandem bike, our trailer, all of our gear. And it was rainy season. So by the time we got out to the middle of the ocean, there was a full-on monsoon happening. So there were big waves, big like really big swells. And it was pretty crazy because the boat that we were getting into was even smaller than the boat that we were currently in. And it was full of water. The first thing I saw was a guy scooping water out of the boat. 
And then I noticed the spark plugs on the back, which were sitting in the rain and the, the boat motor didn't work very well. And it took us six hours to do a two hour trip. At that point, I think both of us were thinking, we don't even care about the bike. Like, this isn't even a bike trip. I just want to get to Panama. Like, please let us get there. Yeah, you know, for, for me, the reason why that's the most memorable experience we had was because of the unknown. Literally, we really did not have any clue whatsoever what was going to happen. So this is in the, on the Pacific side of Colombia. We were riding to a town that we knew was a major port town, and we were just thinking, you know what, let's just get there and start asking people if there are boats or if there's any way to, to go up along the Pacific side up to, up to uh, Panama. And so I thought that was just so, you know, quote-unquote fun, but uh, adventurous because the complete unknown and that that kind of made it uh, so memorable because of the kind of crazy and wild adventures that we had because of that decision. Were you second guessing that decision at that point? Um, I not, never for me. There was a point where we were stuck uh, at a place for nine days because we couldn't get a boat. It was hard because you know you don't know what's happening and you don't know if you can get through, and you you kind of second guess yourself, thinking, God, we should have just gone the other way because we would be in Panama by now, but. You know, I've been in these situations before, and I know that, you know, we had made a decision, and if it comes out, we're going to be so much more happy for it. If it doesn't come out, it's okay, you know, but but I wanted to wait a little longer in order to, to see what would happen. So patience is, uh, is, is a nice thing to have when you're doing something like this. And for me, like, I find every time I second-guess myself, it's really a bad feeling because you can second-guess just about every choice you make. So you kind of push that out of your head and don't even let that be an option. We made this choice. This is our adventure. And no matter what we get into, we're too far into it now anyway. So let's just stick with this path. What a great outlook. That sounds like a, a way to just embrace it and charge forward. <laughs> yep. We made the decision to ride from the southern tip of South America to Alaska. Let's continue it. 15 months later, here we are. So the mission of A Congruent Life, this this interview project, is to share stories of authenticity. So for you, what does living authentically or congruently mean? How, how would you define that for yourselves in your own lives? I have found that a lot of time throughout my life, I am doing things for other people. And what I specifically mean by that is, I found myself having to prove myself to a lot of people. So growing up as a child, I was told like, oh, you know, she's blind, so she's not going to be a good reader. Let's put her into the slow reading section. And then I'd be like, no, I, I love to read. I, I'm going to read all these books. And then, well, she's blind, so she's kind of slower in class. So let's put her into like the slower, you know, section in, you know, middle school, high school. And I was like, no, you know, I, I'm going to work really hard and you're going to put me into the honors class. And that's just how it's going to be. And then it's like, okay, fine, we'll put you into the honors class, but you're never going to go to, you know, college. So I made sure to go to like a tier one university to say, yeah, look, I can do this. And then I went there and I was like, see, I have to get honors. And it was always proving something to other people. But it was by the time I finally got my fancy job, that was great. And it was really wonderful. And I thought, you know, why am I here, though? Like, is this what I chose or is this what I feel like people needed to see from me? So for me, just leaving all of that and going out into the unknown and just letting go of all of that second guessing that comes with it. And if something comes my way and I say, yeah, I really want to do that, then now I'm doing that for me. And for me, that would be a 
an authentic life is when you're doing it because you want to do it because you chose to do it. I don't know how I picked it up or where I saw it, but I see people kind of living a a a life that's kind of like paved already. It's already there. You know, you you grow up, you go to school, you go to college, you go to work, you get married, you have kids, you you know get old, you retire, you die, and I kind of wanted something more out of it than that. And so I, all all these years I've just been chasing after what I want to do out of life, what I want to get out of life. Because at, at the end of the day, you know, at, at, at the end of the road, I want to make sure I have all these memories that, that have no regrets whatsoever because I've chased after what I've wanted to do. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of, in many ways, making my, my experience on this earth unique. So maybe to follow up on that, what what do you want your respective legacies to be? When you look back on your lives, what what do you want people to say about you? You know, I, I, I read a lot about others who have done amazing things, and I get inspired by that. You know, I, I get inspired by people who, who climb mountains or who, I guess for me, actually, uh, back in the 1700s or even before that, all the sailors who you know just explored the world that to me has always been inspirational and so kind of what I've done at least what I've tried to do I kind of would love it that someone sees my life as an inspiration to, to what they could eventually do which is to you know to explore a little bit and to kind of go beyond their boundaries in order to have more fulfillment in their life it's important to me to just live for yourself and so for me I, it's not even that important that I would have such a legacy, I guess, because what it is in, is like just doing what you want to do and not worrying so much about what other people are thinking about you. Well, any any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Gosh, you know, I, I would say that we, through our trip, we've been kind of sharing with mainly those who are visually impaired, like, you know, a couple of things. One is um, you know, you're the only ones who can define your own boundaries because others try to to define them for you, and it's not true or it's not correct because they can't see what you see. So only you should be the ones to uh, to to create your own boundary. But I think it applies to everyone. You know, both you know those who are non-sighted and those who are sighted, because it, I think if you understand yourself, you know yourself well you're the best person to kind of know your limitations, know your boundaries. So uh, we've been kind of, you know, um, hoping that others can, I guess we've been trying to push that, mm-hmm. that thought. Um, yeah. So just go out and enjoy life. And whatever that means to you, just make sure to get out there and do it. You know, a little bit of self-reflection, you know, what am I doing right now? Is this what's going to fulfill me? And, Everyone you meet says, you know, I have this dream to do this or that. And you think, well, why aren't you doing it? Oh, I can't do that. Well, yeah, you can. You know, you just have to figure out how you're going to do that. But no matter what it is, there's a way to do it. Yeah, and that's important because we, you know, we, we tell the, the uh, Vision Prairie community that, you know, whatever your obstacle is, find ways around it. Develop systems to get around it, um, you know. You, yeah, it's true that you can't always follow the same path as a person who can see to do something, but maybe there's an alternative route that no one knows about, but that you can perhaps, you know, find find your way around. So instead of letting something, you know, stop you, 
just find your way to, you know, meander and per perhaps uh, circumnavigate it and get around it. And I guess the last thing I'd say is just, you know, the adventure is the spirit of life. And we, it's, it has been so fun for us. We've been so fortunate that we've done all these things and feel so much more, I don't know, more fulfilling, so much more fulfilled because um, it's just a great way to have all these memories and to tell stories. And I think at one uh, Lions Club uh, meeting, uh, we were telling a bunch of, they're mostly retired folks, I said to them, you know, I want to be at, at that point when I'm old as you all and 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 sit back and, you know, have that big smile on my face and, I'll, and say to these young kids, oh, yeah, when I was your age, I did this, I did that. Because I think that would be such so much more fun, you know, to to have the old age, uh, the the last years like that. Because mm -hmm. it's a matter of like when you're old to be able to look back and be just happy, you know, and what's gonna make you happy? No regrets, you know. No no regrets, you know. I should have or I could have. Those are very empty words and very, I don't know. I guess pessimistic or or negative words. And so. You know, the more should haves or could haves you you have, I guess I don't know. It's not not a uh, not a happy feeling. Because why not? Well, the best of luck to both of you on the remainder of your journey. That's a, a great story, and and please keep us posted about how it's going for you. How can our listeners engage with you and follow along in your adventures? We have a website, which is uh, twoblindtoride.org, and we try to uh, keep that updated as much as we can, mostly with some photos and captions. And we also have a Facebook page and Twitter and YouTube and all of that good stuff. Yeah, and we love comments, so, so definitely you know, shoot us a comment, and we respond to all of them. Okay, that's great. That's TWOBlindTORide.org, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, Christy and Tara, thank you very much for spending this time with us. Best wishes to you, and, and thanks very much for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, thank you, so Annie. much for having us. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Tara and Christy, really cool folks in the middle of an inspired adventure. Please do follow along with their journey at TooBlindToRide.org, which is linked in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, you can access this episode and the associated notes by going to acongruentlife.net slash two. That's the number two in your web browser. Thanks again for supporting at Congruent Life. I really appreciate you being here and listening to this episode. Please do join our mailing list and I'll keep you up to date with what's going on with A Congruent Life. Just stop by the website at acongruentlife.net and put your email address in the box on the right sidebar. Again, thank you and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.